Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am here with a soundtrack review from 1979, John Barry's score for the Disney film The Black Hole. Why am I covering this obscure-seeming soundtrack? Well, because it actually is one that means quite a bit to me. I saw The Black Hole in the theater. I remember that very well. I believe it was at Oakland Mall, whichever city that would be in. Uh, We grew up in Mount Clemens, Michigan. I'm not sure what the jurisdiction or city line would have been where Oakland Mall was. Uh, But we went there, I believe, to go see the film. And man, this was like on the heels of Star Wars and you know, these space movies, the incredible graphics, the the feeling that these things were actually really happening. Unbelievable. Now, in 1979, I think this came out in the summer. So I'm going to say I would have been probably seven or around seven. And uh, yeah, this was just a huge impact movie. Loved it very much. It was one of the only movies that I actually went and collected stuff from. I had a puzzle of the shot of the Cygnus all lit up in space, which was a lot of fun. Um, because it, there was just like so much black with little blue wisps and stars and stuff in it to to do. And then you had the bright Cygnus in the middle, um, a really just isolated picture, you know, because there's the Cygnus just sitting there, nothing around it, no support, nowhere to go. Um, really cool puzzle. I don't even know how many times I put that together. I had a model of Vincent, V-I-N-Cent, the robot for who we you know, we look at as the good guys because that's the story we're given to follow. And uh, it was really cool. It had a a weird little wire stand to it. Like he actually hung on the wire, but it was a fun model to put together. And um, I want to say I had something else. Oh, oh, there was a, they used to have these books. I don't know what they were called, but they had all kinds of different puzzles and games in them, right? Like you had, uh, a blank sheet of paper with just a grid on it and you would have you know everything would be numbered and then in there would be a copy of the grid with all the boxes completed but scrambled so you had no idea what the picture was and it had a number in it and you had to put you know draw that number in the grid and you would actually find out what the picture was and there was all kinds of like little games like that and there was a book on the black hole that had that kind of stuff and I remember uh, had a lot of fun. I was so bummed when I finished it because it's like, well, that's done. <laughs> you know, they didn't really give you the opportunity to do the, you know, the puzzles multiple times. Now with that one, you could have just used a separate piece of graph paper, graphed it yourself. But uh, most of the stuff was like pretty much in the book. I think I had some stickers. Uh, I really loved this movie and I was all about it. Now, uh, this is a very old school soundtrack. And in the way of it has an overture, that really kind of touches base on different parts of the film. The soundtrack, considering, uh, you know, the the soundtrack that we had to Star Wars was also orchestral. But, you know, films would not be scored like this today. They just wouldn't. They very rarely have overtures anymore. Um, Everything is so much more synthesized and electronic and ethereal and cold when it comes to space and, you know, more, uh, you know, direct action to the scenes. And uh, this is really almost something that like he just wrote some pieces of music and they put him in the scenes. It really does not feel uh, so much of a cohesive soundtrack. Now, unfortunately, the particular 10 pieces that they chose to release on the soundtrack are, are far from encompassing the whole movie. And three of them are basically the same song. So there's that. So you've really got like eight different pieces of music. But 
it doesn't seem cohesive because there's just so many other pieces in the actual film that didn't make it onto the soundtrack. If it would have been a double album or something, it would have been really nice because there's really some great music that follows it. But it, it's almost like the music sometimes is just so counterintuitive to the way that we're used to hearing film scores done today. And I think that's actually pretty cool because it's just so unique and, and reminds me of the way things were done, you know, in, in my childhood as opposed to now. I think it's evolved quite nicely. I think it makes sense with the technology, with the the way that we look at, at you know, sound for film now. I think the way that we're doing it is fine. But it's, you know, it's nice to unearth a little gem now and then from days gone by and how things used to be. John Barry has done a ton of soundtracks. If you look at his IMDb, oh my God, it, it's endless, absolutely endless. The guy has done so many projects and, and every one that I've heard, I've really enjoyed. But this one in particular just hits home with me. So I wanted to uh, share it with you. So the soundtrack came out in 1979 as well. And I... Well, I had the album. I had the LP of it. So there's another little trinket I had from the movie. I want to say I had like a little, I don't know, maybe a Vincent keychain or something. It, it seems like I had a Vincent keychain. Or maybe I just had a robot that reminded me of Vincent, like a little plastic robot keychain. I don't know. That was all a long time ago. <laughs> a very long time ago. But uh, the soundtrack still just warms my heart when I hear it. And since I'm covering all these pieces of music that have had an impact on me one way or another. Uh, I thought this would be a great one to uh, to cover on the show. Now, uh, I have had to rearrange the release of a lot of these episodes based on um, interviews and different things that have happened. So, you know, I, I used to give updates on what's going on with me, but because I don't know now when the episodes are actually going to air, I really don't do that anymore. So I would say uh, if you're interested in what's going on with me, probably follow me on Facebook would be... That'd probably be the best place. That's where I update the most. Um, yeah, I'm not that good at Instagram or Twitter, but I'm on them. I, I'm just not that great at updating them. I'm horrible at sending out newsletters. I can't even remember how many months it's been since I sent out a newsletter. Um, and I've got stuff going on. So uh, I'll just give a, a quick overview, depending. I, I don't know how relevant this will be, depending when the episode actually airs, or even more importantly, when you're listening to it. Um, but I've got a couple things in the work. The first book of my trilogy is in beta reading, and I've gotten some good feedback so far and waiting for the second book to be edited. I have my What Happened in Vegas book number three is actually going to be coming out this summer. Finally, um, you know, as we're opening up things again, I've been able to go back out onto the strip and visit some some of my favorite places, walk up and down the street. And of course, Listen, that is one of my favorite things about the strip is just listening to the crazy things that people say. Um, I do 450 quotes per book, and I am at, uh, as of the recording, I am at 437. So I have 13 more to get. I'm sure I'll have that this week, and then I can start compiling the book. I don't have a specific release date yet, but that will be coming out this summer. Also coming out this summer, I'm hoping for a mid-June release is my next album. Uh, that is going to be called Songs from the Circuit Board. I am finally, after all these years, writing my 90s chiptune album. This one, uh, you know, I was just going to write a bunch of chiptune songs. And I thought, you know, it, it would be actually kind of fun to do like music for a video game that doesn't really exist. So I've got uh, eight songs done three ways. Uh, the uh, The first is just the standard 8-bit 
songs from the video game. You've got everything from the welcome screen to the music at the end, whether you uh, defeated the game or not. And uh, and there's that. Then the second uh, set of eight songs is the same songs, but instead of it having that mono 8-bit mix, it's going to have like a full stereo production mix. So it's going to be chiptune sounds, but with a full production panning and all that stuff, which you don't get in regular 8-bit music. So uh, that should be an interesting experiment. I've got two songs left to write, and then I will start working on um, you know those two mixes. And then the third version of the song, if I can pull this off, I'm not sure about it yet. Uh, I want to do a modern version of those eight songs. So using like modern sounds, the way it would be done today. So those songs kind of rewritten for how a video game would be written today. Um, should be interesting. I don't know if I can pull it off, but we will see. Uh, I've got, like I said, six of the eight, of the eight eight bit versions are done, and those two mixes should be fairly easy to do. It's that third set of songs that is really kind of intriguing me and a bit of a cloud over my head. I haven't started on them yet. I'm waiting until I'm done with all eight, so we'll see how that goes. But that's right now the plan. Kelly is already working on the artwork, of course, because she's awesome, and uh, Rebecca will be back to do the lettering. So very excited to work with my amazing team again. And uh, of course, I will have, um, I don't know, announcements somewhere, probably on Facebook is like I said, you know, just just follow me on Facebook. That's the best, best place. Um, that's pretty much it. As far as things going on, the Uriah Heat podcast is uh, really coming to a, a basic close here. We're, uh, you know, I, I moved all the interviews from this podcast, uh, copied them over into the Uriah Heap podcast. So all the Uriah Heap things that I've done are together. Any interviews that I continue to do with the band or anyone related uh, will all go into the Uriah Heap podcast as well. But, you know, at this point, I've covered everything there is to cover. Um, while I'm recording this, there's two more bonus tracks to air, and then the interview season will air, and then a surprise season that uh, I didn't expect to do, but it's uh, it's got a bit of a twist to it. So there will be one more season after the interviews. Then there might be more. Um, I don't know. I've talked to BMG about doing some promo stuff with them and uh, got a couple other potential things in the works, but right now nothing is locked in. So we're just waiting for the new album to come out. There has been no update, no uh, release date set. So uh, I'm expecting probably sometime you know, later this year, maybe the fall, uh, maybe late summer. I don't know. There's, there's nothing official about it. Um, last time I talked to Mick, there was, there was no update. So at this point, uh, everything's just kind of on hold waiting for that new album, unless, like I said, something else crops up. So there may be some episodes here and there. That would be great if, if so, but, uh, that certainly frees me up to get back to some of the projects that I've been wanting to work on, which is why I've been able to move forward with the album, because most of the episodes are recorded now. And, uh, onward that goes, but it's been such a, a blast and an honor to be endorsed by Uriah Heap to do that show and to dig into every song they ever recorded. You know, everything that I'm aware of, I haven't had anybody come back to me and say, hey, you missed a song. So as far as I know, I've actually gotten all of them and uh, 289 songs in the studio, not counting the new album, of course. So uh, it's been a joy, absolute joy. Uh, that's pretty much everything uh, as of the date I'm recording this. Who knows what it's going to be when it actually airs. But let's get into the album. This is The Black Hole from John Barry, and we are treated at the very beginning to an overture.
It's a very interesting uh, overture. It feels very, uh, you know, military, very uh, precise. I love the snare in there. Just has that sort of military march feel. Something I, I would actually almost expect maybe to be associated with Star Trek. The, the little bit I know about that, it seems like it might fit that well. I mean, think about it. Here it is, 1979. You've seen Star Wars. You're going into the theater. Disney's put out this movie about space. You're going to check it out, and you get this overture to open things. Um really isn't isn't what you would expect you know i mean first you really wouldn't i i think back then we probably would have but i I nowadays wouldn't have expected an overture but it's it's not the sound i would have expected you know i would think deep space you know darkness uh maybe some some battle sounds you know something a little more uh in in a different direction than what john's written here but i like this it's very orchestral it's very upbeat it's very thematic um but keep in mind that last, you know, that 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 sound that we're hearing from the strings, that particular note or combination of notes, I should say, that is going to be very thematic throughout this uh, podcast. And it's it's just the way it hangs there, you know, and, and that will start the the song that repeats kind of three times on the soundtrack. So, you know, with all this, the music that they had, it's really surprising that they put three versions of the same song on there. I mean, they're all different titles. They're all different places in the movie. I get it. But like the middle one, I think they could have left out, although there is a variation to it from the other two. Um, but like you're only putting 10 songs on there. It's a, it's a long movie. There's plenty of music. They could have done something different, uh, but they didn't. So but it's a cool overture. I don't think it really gives away the next piece, the main theme, because you're going to go right into it from here. So you don't really need to give it away in the overture. You just need to have an inflection of it, you know, something to identify and tie it together, which is that that string sound that we just heard. And when I say string sound, I mean, this is a real orchestra, by the way. So I don't mean like a string patch or anything like that. I just mean the sound that we're hearing coming from the strings. Um, So I say that, you know, what we should do is just jump into the main title. That's where things really start to get interesting. This is the piece that I just fell in love with. And, you know, even I, I really was just starting to get into becoming a musician. I was starting to learn drums around this time. And so I, I was starting to pay attention to music in probably a little bit different of a way. But this song in particular has just always stuck with me as a, one of the best film thematic pieces I've ever heard. It's so intriguing and interesting, and it has such a mood to it that, well, just hear it and decide what you feel for yourself. The mood to that is just phenomenal to me. I've always loved that. It really just takes you for a ride. It's it's up and down. It's intriguing. It's mysterious. It's got all the elements of something at the beginning of a film that's making you go, what the hell am I about to get into here? 
You know, it doesn't feel like some cute Disney score. It really just feels like something big or major or ominous or crazy is about to happen. And you just better buckle up for the ride. Um, it's, it's been a piece that I would, I would love to find a way to write something like that. But anytime I've tried, I pretty much just end up copying it, which is not what I want to do. I want to find a way to write something with that up and down feel with that element of mystery. Um, I just haven't found it yet. Maybe one day I will. I don't know. Maybe I won't. But in any case, it's a lot of fun trying, but it sucks that I keep end up copying the song uh, because it's just, you know, so embedded into my brain, but it's a great piece of music. It's a, one of the ultimate film themes for me. And it will play uh, a role. We'll revisit it again in a little bit when we get to those songs. But um, yeah, that's that's a pretty, pretty amazing thing. And of course, we're starting to get introduced, you know, to the characters, the robot, Vincent, who is a pretty cool guy. And he's definitely like somebody that you wish you actually had in your house in real life. Definitely you would want on a mission because he's pretty badass. But um, yeah, this is this is a really cool opening theme. It sets a, a great tone. And then we get into, you know, what's who's the crew, what's going on with them and um, get to know them a little bit. So the, the next piece that made it to the album is a ways down in the film, I believe. And it is called The Open Doors. Just listen to how amazing and patient all of that is. You know, the long string passage, just holding on that one note, really just bringing out the drama and the intrigue. And you're waiting for something to happen, whether it be like, uh, you know, a a shock thing that just comes out of nowhere, uh, you know, like a scare or something that just leads you into at some point, you got to tell me it's going to be okay. I mean, we're very early in the movie. So uh, it's a really powerful piece and there's not much to it. That's part of the the beauty of it. Very simple, but very patient. And that's the kind of film scoring we used to have. Nowadays, there would probably be something a little more aggressive, um, maybe like even a, a, like a bass drum beat to it, just going boom, 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 you know, creating a pulse to kind of uh, get your heart rate up, just something. But you wouldn't get this nowadays. You definitely wouldn't. Um, a very cool piece, though. I, I like it. It's a great uh, gap filler as we transition from the, uh, the, I can't remember the name of the ship that they were on. Um, I think it started with a C, uh, but the, uh, the Cygnus is where they're headed. That's, that's the one that they're, that has gone missing and nobody's heard from anybody on it. And um, they just kind of assume everyone's dead because the ship is dark and it lit up and they, they got to get to it. So next though, we're going to go through a song called Zero Gravity.
Sound familiar? It should. We just heard it a few minutes ago. Uh, this is a little bit faster, though, and um, it's it's there's a little more tension going on in the movie. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly when this was, when this was when they were first getting on the Cygnus or when they were heading towards it. Um, I think it was when they were heading towards it. I want to say this was a space scene, uh, but I can't remember exactly. Either way, uh, again, cool piece. I kind of like it that it has a little more variety to it, that it's a, a faster tempo, which just does give a bit more of a sense of urgency. The other one was a little more patient. Um, you know, a wild ride, just the same, but a little more patient. This one, you're like, wait a minute, something's happening. I feel like I, I, you know, my heart's racing a little bit faster. The music makes me do that because you heard it at the other tempo. You've locked in on that for this music. Now you're hearing it faster. So you're, you're starting to get that subconscious tension going. Really cool trick. And it works very, very well. Our next song is called Six Robots. Now, this is where... Uh, Vincent has met Bob, who was like a, a former model of uh, Vincent's robot model, but he's uh, just beat to shit. And um, Star, you get the impression that basically Star did this to him. Star is the prize fighting robot of Maximilian, who uh, owns the Cygnus and is the uh, the captain of it. And uh, there's another robot that we'll meet, but Star is kind of like, you know, he's he's the fighting guy. He's the leader of uh, their army, so to speak, not that they really need one. And they're playing, you know, this wonderful little laser game and Vincent just comes and shows them up. And then Bob's afraid of what's going to happen because he pretty much just lets star do whatever he wants. Stars, the bully, very clearly the bully. And he's uh really traumatized Bob as, as we <laughs> see in the film. Uh, but so the, so star is a, it's like solid black, like Darth Vader and the other robots are reddish brown, like a burgundy, I guess they would be. Um, so you could distinguish who Star is very, very easily. He's also the one that's, you know, doing very well in the laser game. And anybody that tries to do well, he he's not having it. You know, he'll just beat the crap out of you if you if you upstage him. So, you know, I don't I've never understood a, the the idea of bullying from that perspective, though. Like if you're not winning because you're actually winning, like you're better, you're playing a better game than the rest of them. How is it enjoyable just to have the high score when you know that everybody's just afraid to do better? You know, I don't I don't get the satisfaction in that. You know, I like to win, but I like to win and know that I actually won instead of just, you know, I intimidated people into not playing that good. Um, but then there's a lot about bullying I don't understand, as I've talked about throughout the course of the show. Uh, but anyway, this one's called Six Robots. You know, revisiting that music, I might be wrong about where that's placed because there were the robots that were with Star, um, but there was also these uh, sort of faceless, almost like, um, you know, uh, what do they call that? Like spyglass, you know, the the stuff that they put, uh, the black uh, globes that they have under sec or around security cameras and stores, like that kind of thing, very reflective. 
um, they were masks that were over these people that were sitting in the chairs and they were barely moving. Um, they were kind of, it looked like they were controlling the ship, which is funny because the ship really wasn't doing anything. But uh, it might have been that point in the movie. I'm honestly not sure. And the reason I say that is because this music is kind of somber, really wouldn't fit uh, playing the the game that Star and his buddies were playing. Uh, but then again, you know, the scores were done completely different back then. It was a, a lot of time... Um, almost felt unrelated unless there was an action scene. So I don't know. I'm not sure exactly where this was placed in the movie. It was one of those two places, though, I'm sure. Uh, but but another great piece of music. The music moves. It's very fluid, but it's also just somber. And you feel, again, that kind of isolation, which is why I'm leaning toward the latter of where I think it was taking place, because it was like this big control room and they're all just sitting there. And Ernest Borgnine, I think, is the one that discovers them. Um, God, I should have watched the movie. It's been so long since I've seen it. But uh, a beautiful piece of music in any case. Again, very patient, but this one kind of moves a little bit for as somber as it is. There's stuff going on. Um, really is the underscore. This is this is real underscore and underscore that does help the movie move forward. Um, nowadays, you know, it seems like the composers a lot of times are fighting to be heard, whereas underscore was just meant to be felt. And I feel like we've really lost that. I, I feel like underscore now is more about, you know, what what cool things that you did that people can pay attention to. You, you can sell a soundtrack. And back then, you know, soundtracks were released for popular movies. But I really feel like the music was just meant to support more the feeling that they wanted you to feel than it was just like, hey, look at this, this cool st- score that somebody wrote. So uh, just my thoughts, though. I could be wrong. Um, our next piece moves on quite a ways in the film, and it is called Durant is Dead. If I remember right, Durant was played by Anthony Perkins from Psycho. Um, pretty sure that's right. What's interesting to me as I'm thinking about it right now is that this movie moves at a pretty good pace. You know, there's there's a couple of little lulls, but for the most part, it, it moves at a pretty good pace. And it's interesting how patient some of these pieces in the score are, almost in contrast to that, you know, which would leave the, the viewer feeling a little bit unsettled. Why is this music so calm when so much is happening? But in this particular piece, you know, they're finding out that their friend is dead. Uh, I did look it up and I was right. It was Anthony Perkins that played uh, Durant. So Anthony is no longer in the film as of this point. And everybody is kind of discovering, you know what? Uh, all those bad feelings that we had about coming here, they're coming true. This is not what it seems. We're losing crew members. Uh, we're all in danger. This is bad. So you've got, you know, the somber feeling of, of losing your friend, but also that realization of how bad the situation is. 
what I didn't realize is that Robert Forster Jr. was actually uh, the one who played the uh, the main, um, you know, the captain of the the good guys or the you know the good guys from our perspective. I would love to see this movie remade from Dr. Reinhardt's position and and find out you know why he thought flying into the black hole was going to be a good idea. I can't justify that one, uh, but he played Doctor uh, uh, or uh, Captain Dan Holland, and I would later see him in another show I really enjoyed called Heroes, and um, yeah, really really good actor. Now, um, this this movie is kind of getting to the point now we're moving ahead in the score to where uh, they're about to start their prep for going into the black hole. Uh, Dr. Reinhardt is completely insane at this point. I think I might've referred to him earlier as Maximilian. Maximilian Shell was the, the name of the actor that played him, but there is another robot that we haven't talked about called Maximilian who was, how do I even explain him? He was a solid metal badass. He was Vincent's rival throughout the movie. Star really didn't do much that, that really equated to anything like you they set it up that he was going to be this really, you know, evil guy and we were going to have to contend with him. But he really wasn't that big of a deal in the film. Maximilian, however, was. Maximilian was this just badass red robot with one glowing Cyclops eye um, that crossed his whole face. And uh, you definitely got a, a very evil sense whenever he was in the room. And he was silent. And he would just hover there. And then he had these blades that would come out and spin um, real badass robot. My brother had the model of him, whereas I had Vincent. Um, in fact, I want to say it was when we were on a vacation with our grandparents in Canada that we found those models. I think we were going to, I don't remember where we were, but wherever we were, it was in Canada. I'm pretty sure either Canada or Jackson, it might've been Jackson, Michigan, where we went to go see the, uh, the Cascades, that, uh, sort of fountain thing that this guy built for his wife. And uh, I might have been on that trip. But in any case, it was one of the trips that we were on with my grandparents one uh, one summer and we found the model. So he got Maximilian. I got Vincent. Um, but yeah, I had a metal like a die cast Maximilian. That was another thing I had. And it was like sturdy and solid. It was made like a matchbox car, only a robot. Uh, it didn't really do much <laughs> because he he didn't have a lot of like he didn't have guns and uh, appendages other than the spinny death things. Uh, but it was a very cool piece. I, I really enjoyed owning that. Uh, but in any case, so uh, he's the one robot that we haven't met. And really, I don't think anything too much in the song or in the, the score that we're given relates to him. I'm sure there's some pieces that that do specifically. Um, but there are some visuals of him on the screen. Badass robot um, definitely would have rivaled anything in Star Wars, I think, if those universes had, had ever crossed. So uh, let's find out what happens when we start the countdown. So 
our friends in the Palomino, that was the name of the ship that they were flying in their little, their little ship that somehow made it through space. I don't know where they stored fuel and all that, but uh, it was the Palomino. And so they realized at this point that they have to hurry up and get back to the Palomino and get off of the Cygnus because he's going in. They can't convince him to change. He's insane. They know it. It's it's a bad, bad thing. And as they get closer to the black hole, the gravity, you know, whatever it is that that um, would do it starts to uh, damage the ship. And they're just running for their lives, trying to get out of there safely before it goes into the black hole or gets torn to shreds from the force of it all. Um, really, really important time in the film. And again, here we are with a very patient piece of music, something that just gives you an ominous feel without having to be some pounding action sequence, even though they're running, they're going through like the uh, the garden that he has on the ship where he grows all the vegetables for, oh, I don't know who, because he's the only human. And um, well, kind of. But the other ones, I don't think really care about their diet. Um, so it's, it's like there's this patient music going on and, and, you know, all this stuff is happening. But this is the start of it all. So th- I know there's some action sequences in the film um, but those aren't part of the soundtrack, unfortunately. So we don't really get that as much. But it's a, it's a really cool piece. Again, I'm just astounded by how patient this soundtrack it really is. So uh, that leads us to our next piece, which is called Laser. And I'm going to venture a guess that this is the showdown with Star, with Vincent and Star. And, you know, Bob tries to help, bless his little robot heart. Um, but it's a it's a cool time in the movie. It's like, you know, Star was there in the beginning, and then he did like a couple of things, and now all of a sudden he's showing up at the ending. Meanwhile, our our attention was really taken away by Maximilian and kind of forgot about Star until this scene. You're like, oh yeah, there was this other robot that was supposed to be really evil and, you know, a worry to us. So here is the laser showdown, which was actually really cool. So this you might recognize from the overture, the thing that I said really kind of fit more like uh, Star Trek or something like that. Definitely feels like, um, you know, something the Federation would have as a theme, but it's got, it's just got such a, a prestigious feel to it. You know, something that, you know, you would maybe be saluting a flag or you would be accepting a medal or something. Um, but <laughs> this is just Vincent getting uh, to, to the victory side of the laser fight with Star and the other robots. And you know, what's left of Bob and how he tried to help. Um, it's a cool piece, though. It, it's it, again, feels just so like it wouldn't fit the film. But I'm again looking through today's eyes. How would I score the film? How would somebody else score the film completely differently from what we're seeing? Um, but a really cool piece, though. I, I love it. It, it. Very regal is, I think, the word that I would use to describe it. Um, very refined, prestigious, you know, all that sort of thing. 
Um, but now it's time to go, and I cannot believe that this is the title of a song in a Disney movie, Into the Hole. That's just a beautiful piece. I love that. Um, you know, and, and I I think about the visuals that we're having as the ship is, you know, sort of just being ripped apart by the black hole and really the only thing that's left. And I won't spoil it for you if you haven't seen the movie, but there's a very memorable shot at the end of uh, of that sequence that um, I, it's, it's haunting. I'll just say that. But it's a really cool sequence. And and again, you know, the music is not pounding. It's not him trying to save the ship or trying to get out of it. It's them trying to get out of his ship and to the Palomino and get off of this crazy Cygnus so that they can get back to safety. And um, really, really intense uh, scene, probably the most intense thing in the movie at this point. Of course, the culmination of everything, um, you know, from the beginning, he's pretty much going to fly into the black hole. So it's just all be leading up to this from shortly after the time that they got on the Cygnus, which was really right near the beginning of the movie. So it's a good payoff, I think. Um, you know, obviously, if this wasn't a Disney movie, the whole thing would have been much darker. But I think it's it's got a good level of darkness in it, considering it is Disney. I think that it's um, pretty dark, actually, for anything else I can think of by them. Um, didn't really go this route, but it's definitely a cool... Um, a, a cool film and you could hear in there a little bit of inflections of our our main title theme which we're going to get to again as we go to the end theme here in a second but i would say you know this is a movie worth watching the technology you know the cgi may be a little bit outdated but it's such a well-told story the characters are interesting the robots are really cool the story moves at a good pace um i i, I say watch the movie if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a long time I think it's worth watching. So check it out. Um, available in all the places that everything is available nowadays. I'm sure it's ready to stream on Amazon. And that seems to be the main place that people watch things now. Or, you know, whether you get uh, movies through uh, iTunes or whatever, um, just type in the black hole, you'll find it. Um, you also might find a lot of other things, too. So you may want to type like Disney, the black hole and leave it at that. So that brings us to our our final end title sequence. Um, which really is is uh, just a repeat of the opening title and the uh, the theme that we heard at Zero Gravity. Here is end title, The Black Hole.
Yeah, uh, such a, a beautiful theme. I mean, I, I pretty much said everything I want to say about it. Um, obviously, I, I love it very much. I think it's a great piece of music. And I've I've listened to it many times it's actually on my iPod right now. So it comes on occasionally when those rare moments show up when I'm actually driving around doing stuff, running errands or whatever, which I don't really do a whole lot anymore. Um, just my, my drive down to the strip here and there. But um, yeah, great movie, great soundtrack, very counterintuitive to me now, the way that I'm sort of programmed to expect certain things out of a film score nowadays. Um, I really enjoy it. I think that's probably part of what I enjoy. Part of it, obviously, is nostalgia, because this was something that came into my world when I was very young. I have great memories of it and had the toys, which, like I said, I didn't really get for movies, you know, Um I, I almost think I had some like a handful of black hole trading cards or something. Um, I don't know. That sounds familiar, but I can't I can't picture them right now. But in any case, great movie. Loved it. I hope that you guys enjoyed these little clips of the soundtrack. Check it out. See if I'm right about where they are in the film. Enjoy the film. There's some great actors in there. Um, beautiful graphics. Like I said, the CGI actually is, is pretty good for 79. But it's, you know, compared to how smooth and clean things are today, um, would be done, you know, completely different. But yeah, good movie. Thanks, guys, for joining me for this one. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that you enjoyed the movie. If you've seen it already, if you haven't, or you haven't in a long time, go check it out. The Black Hole. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Cheers! Cheers!